I talked recently about division versus distraction and how that impacts leadership. One of the things that I really want to dig into just a little bit more on that is a philosophy that all leaders know to some degree, and they know it to be true, but they don't really want to deal with it. And that is, you know, even in the four pillars of mastery that uh, Christian Simpson is leading us through right now, the idea of working on the owner before the business. Others would say, John Maxwell has, Elizabeth McCormick has, lead yourself first. That's the hardest part. The concept of leading ourselves before we start trying to put our ideas on someone else, before we take the policies, the processes, even the leadership understandings and try to export them, whether it's to our team or to another company or to a client or to another nation, we've got to make sure that those ideas work on us first. And I've got some quotes for you from politicians of days gone by that I think are a little bit revealing when it comes to how does a policy work in me before I take it somewhere else. Welcome to Leading Leaders Podcast. Five-minute videos, five days a week. I'm Jay Lauren Norris with Leading Leaders Podcast. And one of the concepts that really challenges leaders across the board, leaders of every level, is the idea that whether I get some credentials or I get someone else who acknowledges my leadership skills or my leadership abilities, that once I've gotten the moniker, once I have, whether it's a, a doctorate's degree or a master's degree or a certificate or a training label, whatever it is, once I have that, then everything that comes out of my mouth is a good idea. Once I've lived through some of these experiences, then I can basically dictate these policies and everybody has to adhere to them well because you know I, I have the degree and the challenge for many people from a leadership standpoint and someone being led the follower of the team however you want to put that the employee is the idea that some people have what we would call book smarts and some people have what we would call street smarts well the book smarts would say I've studied this I've researched this I've been through this and the street smarts would say well I haven't necessarily studied it studied it but I've tried it and it either worked or it didn't you know when it comes to working on cars which I've done off and on and as an amateur and, and a tinkerer since I was nine or ten years old helping my stepdad and, and his father and I've taught my kids a lot about what they know but both of my sons now are working as professional mechanics and there are things that they do that are over my head that things that I haven't done yet you know I I have never tackled uh, well I one time have tackled a disc or a drum brake job I don't like them it's a lot of words a lot of moving parts a lot of tiny pieces and the first one I did was in the driveway at someone else's house in the grass and when the brake pieces came apart it was a disaster trying to find all the little pieces to put it back together what should have been a 45 minute job took me about three hours now when you got the right tools and you got the right training that job isn't nearly as hard but it's about understanding the process it's about understanding all the moving pieces it's about understanding how you're supposed to do it so there's the experience and then there's the training but then I also have an uncle who all of my life he has been a mechanic and he's the kind of guy that whether he's got you know significant training in an area or not he's actually done it before and he might tell you straight up look this is what the book says but I'm just telling you the book is wrong the book is written to create more time so that people get paid by the book they get more money it's not that that's the best way to do it and it's certainly not the easiest way to do it it's the way they've described for you to do it prescribed for you to do it because it generates revenue and opportunity for the company. Now that to me is, um, well, it's not good leadership. So if there's a process in your leadership that says, we're gonna go by the book because the book creates opportunity or income or something of that nature, it's not the best way, it's not the only way, it's not the shortest way, it's not the fastest way, it's not the cheapest way, it's just the way that generates more profit for us. I have a problem with that. I have a problem with that. And I think, as leaders, we should be looking for the ways to do things, the processes, the concepts, especially the ones that we export, which are the fastest way to the solution, the most viable way to the solution, and the most productive, effective, cost-effective, and efficient ways to the solution. But that's not what we see. Uh, from individuals to governments, we see a lot of people who have a very specific way of accomplishing things. Uh, and it's almost as if the process of leading is intentionally muddied. 
it intentionally creates more steps. It intentionally creates more opportunity for the leader to be in more control and intentionally creates more obstacles for those who are following to get the task done. Well, let me just give you an example. And, and this seems like a, uh, a remote example, but I, I want to share with you um, just a couple of quotes. So this first one, and this is from my little book called The Quotable Politician. It says, we are not afraid to entrust the American people with unpleasant facts, foreign ideas, alien philosophies, and competitive values. For a nation that is afraid to let its people judge the truth and falsehood in an open market is a nation that is afraid of its people. That was John Fitzgerald Kennedy, the 35th U.S. President, 1917 to 1963 is when he lived. Uh, you might remember he was assassinated in 1963, November. Um, the American temptation is to believe that foreign policy is a subdivision of psychiatry. I'll let that one sink in for a minute. Because what we're really saying in that is that we're looking at the idea that the concepts that we export are a way of controlling or manipulating the mind. Whether it's locally or it's abroad, that foreign policy is a way of getting people to do what we want done. And that, um, well, for lack of a better term, is manipulation, it's coercion, it's well, it might be considered corruption in some places. That was said by Robert F. Kennedy, former U.S. Attorney General and Democratic Senator from New York, uh, who lived 1925 to 1968. I believe also was, um, his life was cut short. No foreign policy, no matter how ingenious, has any chance of success if it is born in the minds of a few and carried in the minds of none, or carried in the hearts of none, excuse me. No foreign policy, no matter how ingenious, has any chance of success if it is born in the minds of few and carried in the hearts of none. That's Henry Kissinger, former U.S. Secretary, 1923, and as of the writing of this book, still alive. I don't know if he has since passed. But here's kind of the clincher. Again, my whole concept today is talking about the idea that leaders need to master what it is that they do before they try to export it. They need to be able to do the functions follow the process, see the procedure all the way through, see the results, and mimic those results. They need to be able to do it more than once. It's not just what I read in the book or saw somebody do one time, but I've actually been able to do this and successfully do it more than once. Whether it's helping someone else to do it or doing it myself more than once, I've actually been able to see this work. Now here's a, an interesting quote along that same concept. Sincere diplomacy is no more possible than dry water or wooden iron. Sincere diplomacy is no more possible than dry water or wooden iron. Joseph Stalin, Soviet dictator, 1879 to 1953. Now, what does that have to do with leadership? If your philosophy is that you cannot really negotiate with people, that, that foreign policy is a matter of subversive technique, that causes a form of psychological or psychiatric uh, adjustment that causes people to simply do what you told them to because you have so much leverage over them, then there really is no negotiation there, right? It's a matter of saying, you're going to do what I told you to because, well, I've, I've got the power to make sure that you do. And see, that's not leadership. That's tyranny. And I don't care if you're talking about a parent in the home or you're talking about a leader in a business or a leader on a team or you're talking about a government leader. If the only way that you have to get your ideas adopted by the people around you is to terrorize them, to intimidate them, to not give them because you don't trust them with the facts and the details, to not give them all the truth, not give them all the details, but to simply modify what you tell them enough to manipulate their behavior. Well, that's not leadership. That's tyranny. And I don't think the world needs any more of that. The world needs to be able to have all the facts, make all the decisions, and see that you've demonstrated, that you've modeled, that you can mimic the same process over and over again and get a, the same or a very similar outcome, that your idea has legs and holds water. There are a whole lot of ideas, a whole lot of concepts, book smarts only, that have never actually been applied, that have failed every time they have been applied because different people have tried them and they didn't work. You know, they read it out of the book and said, that sounds great, but taking it from paper to process to practice, 
doesn't work with people. There are a lot of leadership concepts that are like that. And then there are a lot of leadership concepts that have come up along the way where people go, well, how would you define that? Well, it's not really definable. It's, it, there's no written definition of it. There's no description of how I went about X, Y, Z, except historically to look back and go, well, this is what I did and this is how it worked. A good example of that is this book right here, uh, The Five Battle Strategies of a Victorious Warrior. I, I wrote this book out of my own experience in overcoming addiction. Now, there are people who've read it who are uh, theologians. There are people who've read it who are uh, deep in psychology. There are people who've read it who are deep in leadership. And they go, there's some really good practices in there. Where'd you get those ideas? And I'm like, I don't know. I just lived them. I lived through them and then tried to articulate them when I was done. And people have used the book and said, it worked for me too. And people that I've coached and mentors said, it's actually pretty good stuff. Overcoming addiction, that's a whole new process. I've never seen it put like that. I'm not saying that to brag on myself. I'm saying that to say, if you've got a leadership idea, again, at an individual level, at a team level, at an organizational level, at a national level, as an international level, if you've got an idea for a leadership concept that you've pulled out of a book, but it's never been practiced, or that you've practiced, but nobody's ever really systematized it or put it into a process to say, okay, well, it worked for you, but will it work for others? It's worthwhile to document that process, to ask yourself, if I take it straight out of the book, will it function for everyone the same way that whoever wrote it down said it would? And if I have just practiced it myself and then practiced it more than once for other people, is it duplicable? Is it something that I can annotate? Is it something that I could articulate for other people to adopt? And I think somewhere between the balance of those two, the stuff that's been written down that said, this is a great philosophy and it's been practiced and it was successful, and those that say, well, you know, nobody's ever really thought about it like this, but we tried it and it works. I think where the two of those come together, you have powerful, successful leadership because it works first in the individual before it's adopted at a global or a, a national or an organizational level. If you've got a leadership concept and the only concept that you have is based on what came out of a book and no one's ever tried it, I challenge you to try it in your own life before you try to take it to the rest of the world. I challenge you to apply the principles, apply the rules, apply the processes, apply the systems and see if they work. And if they work for you and you can adopt them and mimic them and get the same results more than once, then share them with the world. And if not, go back to the drawing board. Maybe take those ideas and merge them together with your own experiences and come up with something entirely different. Capitalism was a brand new idea 250 years ago. So far, it has created more wealth, brought more people out of poverty, created more opportunity, created more liberty, created more independence than any other social or government structure on the face of the earth. Look it up if you think I'm crazy. But it was a brand new idea less than 300 years ago. Somebody had to try it. And now that we have, we see that free market, well, it's got its issues, but it works. Capitalism, it's got its issues, but it works. Maybe we could find ways to tweak and perfect that, but try it first. Apply it to a smaller segment like yourself and then take it globally. I'm just saying as a leader, we have an imperative to ensure that what we export, again, to our family, to our team, to our organization, to our county, our community, our nation, or the world. As leaders, we have an obligation to test it out first. Test it on ourselves lead ourselves first, and then try to export the ideas. If we're not willing to do that, then we probably don't really believe in the idea. We just strongly desire the results that we think it will offer, even though nobody's ever seen it. I'm Jay Lauren Norris with Leading Leaders Podcast for Tell It Like It Is TV. Have a blessed day. Subscribe now for our extensive video library of leadership lessons promoting faith, family, and freedom. Perhaps you have been one of those who, as a leader, finds yourself reacting emotionally to the environment around you. Not necessarily logically, not in a way that's pre-planned, but in a spur of the moment, a knee-jerk reaction, you react to exactly what's happening right now. 
And you find yourself later regretting either the words that came out of your mouth or the actions that you took in that moment. Today, I want to talk about how that challenge to our emotional psyche is a challenge for the quality of our leadership, both short term and long term. Welcome to Leading Leaders Podcast, five minute videos, five days a week. Now, people who've loaned me for a long time, most of my life, have seen me go through spells of temper tantrum. When I was a kid, it was really bad. Up in my 20s, I remember a particular instance where I was walking home from the fire department. It was while I was in the military. I'd received a letter from home from my girlfriend at the time, and it was the first one that I'd received. It had been months since I heard from her. And as I'm opening my letter, walking home from the fire department, this water sprinkler that's laying in front of the uh, base, uh, I think it was the car transport place where they take care of all the cars, the motor pool, uh, it fell over. And when it fell over, it was aimed in such a way that it covered the entire street. There was no way to get away from it to the right because there was a fence and, and I couldn't run to the left without just running further into the water. But it saturated my letter before I got to read it. And it literally, the ink was running off the page. And I was absolutely heartbroken and furious at the same time. I was so mad that I pictured myself. Now, it didn't actually happen, but I pictured myself running over and grabbing the sprinkler by the hose and slamming it against the wall until no water would come out of it anymore. And that moment of rage envisioned in my mind, which was never carried out, but that moment of rage envisioned in my mind caused me to ask the question, what good would that do? The ability to, to think through it, the forethought, challenged me to ask the question, would you really accomplish anything by, by acting out on this emotion? Now, I can tell you that prior to that occasion, there were a lot of times that either my mouth got me in trouble because I emotionally reacted to something, or I would physically get into a, a, a scuffle, if you will, nothing big, but a scuffle about the things that made me mad. There was a season, even in middle school, that I, looking back now, I would consider myself to have been a bit of a bully. And people who knew me then could probably confirm that. I, I hope that I've grown out of all of that. But what I haven't grown out of is passion. And I want to make a clear distinction. There's a big difference between being passionate about what you care about, passionate about the things that you've taken possession of, the things that you own as an idea, the things that you've researched that you are thoroughly committed to. Passion about those things is entirely different than anger and frustration. And if you need to do some research on the psychology of that, please do. Look for anger versus passion. The challenge is what we see a lot of today in our society is the number of people who've they've identified passion as a problem. If you're passionate about anything, then you might be too intense. If you're passionate about anything, you might be just right on the edge of exploding. You, you might be right on the edge of losing control. And the reason is that so many people who are passionate are also highly emotional creatures. And passionate emotional creatures do have a tendency to run a little hot-tempered. It's the maturity that allows you to, to tamper those things down without losing the passion. A good example of that would be someone like Colonel Alan West, who has the ability to ratchet up the passion when delivering a speech. But when you talk to him one-on-one, -on -one, he's very even-keeled. He's a very just normal kind of guy in conversation. But when he's on the platform, the passion is clear in his enunciation, in the volume of what he has to say, in the directions that he gives. And I can imagine as a colonel in the military, he would have been the same way. There would have been people who would have mistaken his passion for anger or frustration. But I don't think that's what's there. I'm not saying it ever was. I'm just saying when you watch him now, there's a lot of passion that doesn't necessarily have to be frustration and anger. I can also say that there are a lot of people who have intentionally pressed down their passions, maybe even unplugged from their passions. They've released the passions of their life into uh, the ether world, so that they don't come across as too intense, so they don't come across as angry or frustrated. In fact, there are a lot of people who have equated passionate men with toxic masculinity. 
I don't think that's the case. I do believe, as in my own case, that that passion that bleeds over into anger and frustration or that passion that mixes together with anger and frustration, those two can be a volatile combination. And a lot of domestic abuse, a lot of uh, violence can come from that. When that passion is not bridled, when that passion is not controlled, <clears throat> especially when that passion finds no means for expression. Now, as a leader, I would expect that you would be passionate about what it is, whatever it is you're leading. If you're leading a team or leading a family or leading an organization, I would expect that you have passion toward the outcomes of that team. I would expect that you would invest yourself almost to the point of uh, a zero-sum game of commitment to say, if I risk everything, I will see this through. But that passion shouldn't be anger. That passion shouldn't bleed over into frustration. The challenge, obviously, as a leader is when you begin to see that frustration couple itself with your passion. The frustration of being passionate about seeing something accomplished, for an example, but it not happening again and again, or the ideas that you have being thwarted by others over and over and over again. Those things will cause your passion to become frustration, which can become anger. Now, I may be the only one that sees those things on a gradient scale, that moving from passion to frustration to anger is a progression. But in my own life, I've witnessed it time and time again. The things that I'm passionate about, if I don't see them come through, then it's, it's an intentional and conscious choice for me not to accept the frustration and express the anger. If that's you as a communicator, as a leader, if you find yourself passionate about a topic that you want to have a conversation about and the people around you either don't get it or won't let you fully express yourself, just challenge yourself not to allow the passion to turn into frustration and express itself as anger. In that moment that you get angry, you will lose control of the conversation. You might even lose control of yourself in the way that you express the thoughts that are coming out of your mouth and the actions of your body. So you've got to take a conscious path. You've got to choose to keep that under control. And if that means taking your passion and walking away for a moment, or maybe even from a leadership standpoint, separating yourself from those people who can't express the passion to the same level or accept your passion. It may be time to simply find another team to lead. It may be time to say, my passion doesn't fit here, it's time to move on. That's a challenge for most leaders because we take possession and ownership of the things that we've led, that we've invested in, that we've committed ourselves to. And sometimes the project has outgrown us or we've outgrown the project. And we've gotta be real enough with ourselves to say, it's time to move on. Regardless of where you stand in your relationship to the team of the organization, there's almost no time that losing your cool, whether it's one-on-one -on -one with an individual in front of a team or from the platform in front of a large audience, there's almost no time that losing your cool, losing control of your frustration and anger will benefit you. I'm not telling you to lose your passion. I'm telling you to learn to bridle it. And if that's something that, you challenge, that you're challenged with as a communicator, I've been there. I'll be glad to help. Subscribe now for our extensive video library of leadership lessons promoting faith, family, and freedom. Perhaps you have been one of those who, as a leader, finds yourself reacting emotionally to the environment around you. Not necessarily logically, not in a way that's pre-planned, but in a spur of the moment, a knee-jerk reaction, you react to exactly what's happening right now. And you find yourself later regretting either the words that came out of your mouth or the actions that you took in that moment. Today, I wanna to talk about how that challenge to our emotional psyche is a challenge for the quality of our leadership, both short-term and long-term. Leaders Podcast. Five minute videos, five days a week. Now, people who've loaned me for a long time, most of my life, have seen me go through spells of temper tantrum. When I was a kid, it was really bad. Up in my 20s, I remember a particular instance where I was walking home 
from the fire department. It was while I was in the military. I'd received a letter from home from my girlfriend at the time, and it was the first one that I received. It had been months since I heard from her. And as I'm opening my letter, walking home from the fire department, this water sprinkler that's laying in front of the uh, base, uh, I think it was the car transport place where they take care of all the cars, the motor pool, uh, it fell over. And when it fell over, it was aimed in such a way that it covered the entire street. There was no way to get away from it to the right because there was a fence and, and I couldn't run to the left without just running further into the water. But it saturated my letter before I got to read it. And it literally, the ink was running off the page. And I was absolutely heartbroken and furious at the same time. I was so mad that I pictured myself. Now, it didn't actually happen, but I pictured myself running over, grabbing the sprinkler by the hose and slamming it against the wall until no water would come out of it anymore. And that moment of rage envisioned in my mind, which was never carried out, but that moment of rage envisioned in my mind caused me to ask the question, what good would that do? The ability to, to think through it, the forethought, challenged me to ask the question, would you really accomplish anything by, by acting out on this emotion? Now, I can tell you that prior to that occasion, there were a lot of times that either my mouth got me in trouble because I emotionally reacted to something, or I would physically get into a, a, a scuffle, if you will, nothing big, but a scuffle about the things that made me mad. There was a season, even in middle school, that I, looking back now, I would consider myself to have been a bit of a bully. And people who knew me then could probably confirm that. I, I hope that I've grown out of all of that. But what I haven't grown out of is passion. And I want to make a clear distinction. There's a big difference between being passionate about what you care about, passionate about the things that you've taken possession of, the things that you own as an idea, the things that you've researched that you are thoroughly committed to. Passion about those things is entirely different than anger and frustration. And if you need to do some research on the psychology of that, please do. Look for anger versus passion. The challenge is what we see a lot of today in our society is the number of people who've they've identified passion as a problem. If you're passionate about anything, then you might be too intense. If you're passionate about anything, you might be just right on the edge of exploding. You, you might be right on the edge of losing control. And the reason is that so many people who are passionate are also highly emotional creatures. And passionate emotional creatures do have a tendency to run a little hot-tempered. It's the maturity that allows you to, to tamper those things down without losing the passion. A good example of that would be someone like Colonel Allen West, who has the ability to ratchet up the passion when delivering a speech. But when you talk to him one-on-one, -on -one, he's very even-keeled. He's a very just normal kind of guy in conversation. But when he's on the platform, the passion is clear in his enunciation, in the volume of what he has to say, in the directions that he gives. And I can imagine as a colonel in the military, he would have been the same way. There would have been people who would have mistaken his passion for anger or frustration. But I don't think that's what's there. I'm not saying it ever was. I'm just saying when you watch him now, there's a lot of passion that doesn't necessarily have to be frustration and anger. I can also say that there are a lot of people who have intentionally pressed down their passions, maybe even unplugged from their passions. They've released the passions of their life into uh, the ether world, so that they don't come across as too intense, so they don't come across as angry or frustrated. In fact, there are a lot of people who have equated passionate men with toxic masculinity. I don't think that's the case. I do believe, as in my own case, that that passion that bleeds over into anger and frustration or that passion that mixes together with anger and frustration, those two can be a volatile combination. And a lot of domestic abuse, a lot of uh, violence can come from that. When that passion is not bridled, when that passion is not controlled, <clears throat> especially when that passion finds no means for expression. Now, as a leader, I would expect that you would be passionate about what it is, whatever it is you're leading. If you're leading a team or leading a family or leading an organization, I would expect that you have passion toward the outcomes of that team. I would expect that you would invest yourself 
almost to the point of uh, a zero-sum game of commitment to say, if I risk everything, I will see this through. But that passion shouldn't be anger. That passion shouldn't bleed over into frustration. The challenge, obviously, as a leader is when you begin to see that frustration couple itself with your passion. The frustration of being passionate about seeing something accomplished, for an example, but it not happening again and again, or the ideas that you have being thwarted by others over and over and over again. Those things will cause your passion to become frustration, which can become anger. Now, I may be the only one that sees those things on a gradient scale, that moving from passion to frustration to anger is a progression. But in my own life, I've witnessed it time and time again. The things that I'm passionate about, if I don't see them come through, then it's it's an intentional and conscious choice for me not to accept the frustration and express the anger. If that's you as a communicator, as a leader, if you find yourself passionate about a topic that you want to have a conversation about and the people around you either don't get it or won't let you fully express yourself, just challenge yourself not to allow the passion to turn into frustration and express itself as anger. In that moment that you get angry, you will lose control of the conversation. You might even lose control of yourself in the way that you express the thoughts that are coming out of your mouth and the actions of your body. So you've got to take a conscious path. You've got to choose to keep that under control. And if that means taking your passion and walking away for a moment, or maybe even from a leadership standpoint, separating yourself from those people who can't express the passion to the same level or accept your passion. It may be time to simply find another team to lead. It may be time to say, my passion doesn't fit here, it's time to move on. That's a challenge for most leaders because we take possession and ownership of the things that we've led, that we've invested in, that we've committed ourselves to. And sometimes the project has outgrown us or we've outgrown the project. And we've gotta be real enough with ourselves to say, it's time to move on. Regardless of where you stand in your relationship to the team of the organization, there's almost no time that losing your cool, whether it's one-on-one -on -one with an individual in front of a team or from the platform in front of a large audience, there's almost no time that losing your cool, losing control of your frustration and anger will benefit you. I'm not telling you to lose your passion. I'm telling you to learn to bridle it. And if that's something that, you challenge, that you're challenged with as a communicator, I've been there. I'll be glad to help. Subscribe now for our extensive video library of leadership lessons promoting faith, family, and freedom. Perhaps you have been one of those who, as a leader, finds yourself reacting emotionally to the environment around you. Not necessarily logically, not in a way that's pre-planned, but in a spur of the moment, a knee-jerk reaction, you react to exactly what's happening right now. And you find yourself later regretting either the words that came out of your mouth or the actions that you took in that moment. Today, I wanna to talk about how that challenge to our emotional psyche is a challenge for the quality of our leadership, both short-term and long-term. Leaders Podcast. Five minute videos, five days a week. Now, people who've loaned me for a long time, most of my life, have seen me go through spells of temper tantrum. When I was a kid, it was really bad. Up in my 20s, I remember a particular instance where I was walking home from the fire department. It was while I was in the military. I'd received a letter from home from my girlfriend at the time, and it was the first one that I'd received. It had been months since I heard from her. And as I'm opening my letter, walking home from the fire department, this water sprinkler that's laying in front of the uh, base, uh, I think it was the car transport place where they take care of all the cars, the motor pool, uh, it fell over. And when it fell over, it was aimed in such a way that it covered the entire street. There was no way to get away from it to the right because there was a fence and, and I couldn't run to the left without just running further into the water. But it saturated my letter before I got to read it. And it literally, the ink was running off the page. And I was absolutely heartbroken and furious at the same time. I was so mad that I pictured myself 
Now, it didn't actually happen, but I pictured myself running over, grabbing the sprinkler by the hose and slamming it against the wall until no water would come out of it anymore. And that moment of rage envisioned in my mind, which was never carried out, but that moment of rage envisioned in my mind caused me to ask the question, what good would that do? The ability to, to think through it, the forethought, challenged me to ask the question, would you really accomplish anything by, by acting out on this emotion? Now, I can tell you that prior to that occasion, there were a lot of times that either my mouth got me in trouble because I emotionally reacted to something, or I would physically get into a, a, a scuffle, if you will, nothing big, but a scuffle about the things that made me mad. There was a season, even in middle school, that I Looking back now, I would consider myself to have been a bit of a bully. And people who knew me then could probably confirm that. I, I hope that I've grown out of all of that. But what I haven't grown out of is passion. And I want to make a clear distinction. There's a big difference between being passionate about what you care about, passionate about the things that you've taken possession of, the things that you own as an idea, the things that you've researched, that you are thoroughly committed to. Passion about those things is entirely different than anger and frustration. And if you need to do some research on the psychology of that, please do. Look for anger versus passion. The challenge is what we see a lot of today in our society is the number of people who've they've identified passion as a problem. If you're passionate about anything, then you might be too intense. If you're passionate about anything, you might be just right on the edge of exploding. You, you might be right on the edge of losing control. And the reason is that so many people who are passionate are also highly emotional creatures. And passionate, emotional creatures do have a tendency to run a little hot-tempered. It's the maturity that allows you to, to tamper those things down without losing the passion. A good example of that would be someone like Colonel Alan West, who has the ability to ratchet up the passion when delivering a speech. But when you talk to him one-on-one, -on -one, he's very even-keeled. He's a very just normal kind of guy in conversation. But when he's on the platform, the passion is clear in his enunciation, in the volume of what he has to say, in the directions that he gives. And I can imagine as a colonel in the military, he would have been the same way. There would have been people who would have mistaken his passion for anger or frustration. But I don't think that's what's there. I'm not saying it ever was. I'm just saying when you watch him now, there's a lot of passion that doesn't necessarily have to be frustration and anger. I can also say that there are a lot of people who have intentionally pressed down their passions, maybe even unplugged from their passions. They've released the passions of their life into uh, the ether world, so that they don't come across as too intense, so they don't come across as angry or frustrated. In fact, there are a lot of people who have equated passionate men with toxic masculinity. I don't think that's the case. I do believe, as in my own case, that that passion that bleeds over into anger and frustration or that passion that mixes together with anger and frustration, those two can be a volatile combination. And a lot of domestic abuse, a lot of uh, violence can come from that. When that passion is not bridled, when that passion is not controlled, <clears throat> especially when that passion finds no means for expression. Now, as a leader, I would expect that you would be passionate about what it is, whatever it is you're leading. If you're leading a team or leading a family or leading an organization, I would expect that you have passion toward the outcomes of that team. I would expect that you would invest yourself almost to the point of uh, a zero-sum game of commitment to say, if I risk everything, I will see this through. But that passion shouldn't be anger. That passion shouldn't bleed over into frustration. The challenge, obviously, as a leader is when you begin to see that frustration couple itself with your passion. The frustration of being passionate about seeing something accomplished, for an example, but it not happening again and again, or the ideas that you have being thwarted by others over and over and over again. Those things will cause your passion to become frustration, which can become anger. Now, I may be the only one that sees those things on a gradient scale. 
that moving from passion to frustration to anger is a progression. But in my own life, I've witnessed it time and time again. The things that I'm passionate about, if I don't see them come through, then it's it's an intentional and conscious choice for me not to accept the frustration and express the anger. If that's you as a communicator, as a leader, if you find yourself passionate about a topic that you want to have a conversation about and the people around you either don't get it or won't let you fully express yourself, just challenge yourself not to allow the passion to turn into frustration and express itself as anger. In that moment that you get angry, you will lose control of the conversation. You might even lose control of yourself in the way that you express the thoughts that are coming out of your mouth and the actions of your body. So you've got to take a conscious path. You've got to choose to keep that under control. And if that means taking your passion and walking away for a moment, or maybe even from a leadership standpoint, separating yourself from those people who can't express the passion to the same level or accept your passion. It may be time to simply find another team to lead. It may be time to say, my passion doesn't fit here, it's time to move on. That's a challenge for most leaders because we take possession and ownership of the things that we've led, that we've invested in, that we've committed ourselves to. And sometimes the project has outgrown us or we've outgrown the project. And we've gotta be real enough with ourselves to say, it's time to move on. Regardless of where you stand in your relationship to the team of the organization, there's almost no time that losing your cool, whether it's one-on-one -on -one with an individual in front of a team or from the platform in front of a large audience, there's almost no time that losing your cool, losing control of your frustration and anger will benefit you. I'm not telling you to lose your passion. I'm telling you to learn to bridle it. And if that's something that, you challenge, that you're challenged with as a communicator, I've been there. I'll be glad to help. Subscribe now for our extensive video library of leadership lessons promoting faith, family, and freedom. Perhaps you have been one of those who, as a leader, finds yourself reacting emotionally to the environment around you. Not necessarily logically, not in a way that's pre-planned, but in a spur of the moment, a knee-jerk reaction, you react to exactly what's happening right now. And you find yourself later regretting either the words that came out of your mouth or the actions that you took in that moment. Today, I wanna to talk about how that challenge to our emotional psyche is a challenge for the quality of our leadership, both short-term and long-term. Leaders Podcast. Five minute videos, five days a week. Now, people who've loaned me for a long time, most of my life, have seen me go through spells of temper tantrum. When I was a kid, it was really bad. Up in my 20s, I remember a particular instance where I was walking home from the fire department. It was while I was in the military. I'd received a letter from home from my girlfriend at the time. And it was the first one that I received. It had been months since I heard from her. And as I'm opening my letter, walking home from the fire department, this water sprinkler that's laying in front of the uh, base, uh, I think it was the car transport place where they take care of all the cars, the motor pool, uh, it fell over. And when it fell over, it was aimed in such a way that it covered the entire street. There was no way to get away from it to the right because there was a fence and, and I couldn't run to the left without just running further into the water, but it saturated my letter before I got to read it. And it literally, the ink was running off the page and I was absolutely heartbroken and furious at the same time. I was so mad that I pictured myself. Now it didn't actually happen, but I pictured myself running over and grabbing the sprinkler by the hose and slamming it against the wall until no water would come out of it anymore. And that moment of rage envisioned in my mind, which was never carried out, but that moment of rage envisioned in my mind caused me to ask the question, what good would that do? The ability to, to think through it, the forethought, challenged me to ask the question, would you really accomplish anything by, by acting out on this emotion? Now, I can tell you that Prior to that occasion, there were a lot of times that either my mouth got me in trouble because I emotionally reacted to something, or I would physically get into a, 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 
scuffle, if you will, nothing big, but a scuffle about the things that made me mad. There was a season, even in middle school, that I, looking back now, I would consider myself to have been a bit of a bully. And people who knew me then could probably confirm that. I hope that I've grown out of all of that. But what I haven't grown out of is passion. And I want to make a clear distinction. There's a big difference between being passionate about what you care about, passionate about the things that you've taken possession of, the things that you own as an idea, the things that you've researched, that you are thoroughly committed to. Passion about those things is entirely different than anger and frustration. And if you need to do some research on the psychology of that, please do. Look for anger versus passion. The challenge is what we see a lot of today in our society is the number of people who've they've identified passion as a problem. If you're passionate about anything, then you might be too intense. If you're passionate about anything, you might be just right on the edge of exploding. You, you might be right on the edge of losing control. And the reason is that so many people who are passionate are also highly emotional creatures. And passionate, emotional creatures do have a tendency to run a little hot-tempered. It's the maturity that allows you to, to tamper those things down without losing the passion. A good example of that would be someone like Colonel Alan West, who has the ability to ratchet up the passion when delivering a speech. But when you talk to him one-on-one, -on -one, he's very even-keeled. He's a very just normal kind of guy in conversation. But when he's on the platform, the passion is clear in his enunciation, in the volume of what he has to say, in the directions that he gives. And I can imagine as a colonel in the military, he would have been the same way. There would have been people who would have mistaken his passion for anger or frustration. But I don't think that's what's there. I'm not saying it ever was. I'm just saying when you watch him now, there's a lot of passion that doesn't necessarily have to be frustration and anger. I can also say that there are a lot of people who have intentionally pressed down their passions, maybe even unplugged from their passions. They've released the passions of their life into uh, the ether world, so that they don't come across as too intense, so they don't come across as angry or frustrated. In fact, there are a lot of people who have equated passionate men with toxic masculinity. I don't think that's the case. I do believe, as in my own case, that that passion that bleeds over into anger and frustration or that passion that mixes together with anger and frustration, those two can be a volatile combination. And a lot of domestic abuse, a lot of uh, violence can come from that. When that passion is not bridled, when that passion is not controlled, <clears throat> especially when that passion finds no means for expression. Now, as a leader, I would expect that you would be passionate about what it is, whatever it is you're leading. If you're leading a team or leading a family or leading an organization, I would expect that you have passion toward the outcomes of that team. I would expect that you would invest yourself almost to the point of uh, a zero-sum game of commitment to say, if I risk everything, I will see this through. But that passion shouldn't be anger. That passion shouldn't bleed over into frustration. The challenge, obviously, as a leader is when you begin to see that frustration couple itself with your passion. The frustration of being passionate about seeing something accomplished, for an example, but it not happening again and again, or the ideas that you have being thwarted by others over and over and over again. Those things will cause your passion to become frustration, which can become anger. Now, I may be the only one that sees those things on a gradient scale, that moving from passion to frustration to anger is a progression. But in my own life, I've witnessed it time and time again. The things that I'm passionate about, if I don't see them come through, then it's, it's an intentional and conscious choice for me not to accept the frustration and express the anger. If that's you as a communicator, as a leader, if you find yourself passionate about a topic that you want to have a conversation about and the people around you either don't get it or won't let you fully express yourself, just challenge yourself not to allow the passion to turn into frustration and express itself as anger. In that moment that you get angry, you will lose control of the conversation. You might even lose control of yourself in the way that you express the thoughts that are coming out of your mouth and the actions of your body. 
So you've got to take a conscious path. You've got to choose to keep that under control. And if that means taking your passion and walking away for a moment, or maybe even from a leadership standpoint, separating yourself from those people who can't express the passion to the same level or accept your passion. It may be time to simply find another team to lead. It may be time to say, my passion doesn't fit here. It's time to move on. That's a challenge for most leaders because we take possession and ownership of the things that we've led, that we've invested in, that we've committed ourselves to. And sometimes the project has outgrown us or we've outgrown the project. And we've got to be real enough with ourselves to say it's time to move on. Regardless of where you stand in your relationship to the team of the organization, there's almost no time that losing your cool, whether it's one-on-one -on -one with an individual in front of a team or from the platform in front of a large audience, there's almost no time that losing your cool, losing control of your frustration and anger will benefit you. I'm not telling you to lose your passion. I'm telling you to learn to bridle it. And if that's something that, you challenge, that you're challenged with as a communicator, I've been there. I'll be glad to help. Subscribe now for our extensive video library of leadership lessons promoting faith, family, and freedom. Perhaps you have been one of those who, as a leader, finds yourself reacting emotionally to the environment around you. Not necessarily logically, not in a way that's pre-planned, but in a spur of the moment, a knee-jerk reaction, you react to exactly what's happening right now. And you find yourself later regretting either the words that came out of your mouth or the actions that you took in that moment. Today, I want to talk about how that challenge to our emotional psyche is a challenge for the quality of our leadership, both short-term and long-term. Welcome to Leading Leaders Podcast. Five-minute videos, five days a week. Now, people who've loaned me for a long time, most of my life, have seen me go through spells of temper tantrum. When I was a kid, it was really bad. Up in my 20s, I remember a particular instance where I was walking home from the fire department. It was while I was in the military. I'd received a letter from home from my girlfriend at the time, and it was the first one that I received. It had been months since I heard from her. And as I'm opening my letter, walking home from the fire department, this water sprinkler that's laying in front of the uh, base, uh, I think it was the car transport place where they take care of all the cars, the motor pool, uh, it fell over. And when it fell over, it was aimed in such a way that it covered the entire street. There was no way to get away from it to the right because there was a fence and, and I couldn't run to the left without just running further into the water. But it saturated my letter before I got to read it. And it literally, the ink was running off the page. And I was absolutely heartbroken and furious at the same time. I was so mad that I pictured myself. Now, it didn't actually happen, but I pictured myself running over, grabbing the sprinkler by the hose and slamming it against the wall until no water would come out of it anymore. And that moment of rage envisioned in my mind, which was never carried out, but that moment of rage envisioned in my mind caused me to ask the question, what good would that do? The ability to, to think through it, the forethought, challenged me to ask the question, would you really accomplish anything by, by acting out on this emotion? Now, I can tell you that prior to that occasion, there were a lot of times that either my mouth got me in trouble because I emotionally reacted to something, or I would physically get into a, a, a scuffle, if you will, nothing big, but a scuffle about the things that made me mad. There was a season, even in middle school, that I, looking back now, I would consider myself to have been a bit of a bully. And people who knew me then could probably confirm that. I, I hope that I've grown out of all of that. But what I haven't grown out of is passion. And I want to make a clear distinction. There's a big difference between being passionate about what you care about, a passionate about the things that you've taken possession of, the things that you own as an idea, the things that you've researched that you are thoroughly committed to. Passion about those things is entirely different than anger and frustration. And if you need to do some research on the psychology of that, please do. Look for 
anger versus passion. The challenge is what we see a lot of today in our society is the number of people who've they've identified passion as a problem. If you're passionate about anything, then you might be too intense. If you're passionate about anything, you might be just right on the edge of exploding. You, you might be right on the edge of losing control. And the reason is that so many people who are passionate are also highly emotional creatures. And passionate emotional creatures do have a tendency to run a little hot-tempered. It's the maturity that allows you to, to tamper those things down without losing the passion. A good example of that would be someone like Colonel Alan West, who has the ability to ratchet up the passion when delivering a speech. But when you talk to him one-on-one, -on -one, he's very even-keeled. He's a very just normal kind of guy in conversation. But when he's on the platform, the passion is clear in his enunciation, in the volume of what he has to say, in the directions that he gives. And I can imagine as a colonel in the military, he would have been the same way. There would have been people who would have mistaken his passion for anger or frustration. But I don't think that's what's there. I'm not saying it ever was. I'm just saying when you watch him now, there's a lot of passion that doesn't necessarily have to be frustration and anger. I can also say that there are a lot of people who have intentionally pressed down their passions, maybe even unplugged from their passions. They've released the passions of their life into uh, the ether world so that they don't come across as too intense, so they don't come across as angry or frustrated. In fact, there are a lot of people who have equated passionate men with toxic masculinity. I don't think that's the case. I do believe, as in my own case, that that passion that bleeds over into anger and frustration or that passion that mixes together with anger and frustration, those two can be a volatile combination. And a lot of domestic abuse, a lot of uh, violence can come from that. When that passion is not bridled, when that passion is not controlled, <clears throat> especially when that passion finds no means for expression. Now, as a leader, I would expect that you would be passionate about what it is, whatever it is you're leading. If you're leading a team or leading a family or leading an organization, I would expect that you have passion toward the outcomes of that team. I would expect that you would invest yourself almost to the point of uh, a zero-sum game of commitment to say, if I risk everything, I will see this through. But that passion shouldn't be anger. That passion shouldn't bleed over into frustration. The challenge, obviously, as a leader is when you begin to see that frustration couple itself with your passion. The frustration of being passionate about seeing something accomplished, for an example, but it not happening again and again, or the ideas that you have being thwarted by others over and over and over again. Those things will cause your passion to become frustration, which can become anger. Now, I may be the only one that sees those things on a gradient scale, that moving from passion to frustration to anger is a progression. But in my own life, I've witnessed it time and time again. The things that I'm passionate about, if I don't see them come through, then it's, it's an intentional and conscious choice for me not to accept the frustration and express the anger. If that's you as a communicator, as a leader, if you find yourself passionate about a topic that you want to have a conversation about and the people around you either don't get it or won't let you fully express yourself, just challenge yourself not to allow the passion to turn into frustration and express itself as anger. In that moment that you get angry, you will lose control of the conversation. You might even lose control of yourself in the way that you express the thoughts that are coming out of your mouth and the actions of your body. So you've got to take a conscious path. You've got to choose to keep that under control. And if that means taking your passion and walking away for a moment, or maybe even from a leadership standpoint, separating yourself from those people who can't express the passion to the same level or accept your passion. It may be time to simply find another team to lead. It may be time to say, my passion doesn't fit here, it's time to move on. That's a challenge for most leaders because we take possession and ownership of the things that we've led, that we've invested in, that we've committed ourselves to. And sometimes the project has outgrown us or we've outgrown the project. And we've gotta be real enough with ourselves to say, it's time to move on. Regardless of where you stand in your relationship to the team of or the organization, 
there's almost no time that losing your cool, whether it's one-on-one -on -one with an individual in front of a team or from the platform in front of a large audience, there's almost no time that losing your cool, losing control of your frustration and anger will benefit you. I'm not telling you to lose your passion. I'm telling you to learn to bridle it. And if that's something that, you challenge, that you're challenged with as a communicator, I've been there, I'll be glad to help. Subscribe now for our extensive video library of leadership lessons promoting faith, family, and freedom.